Hi, and welcome to another episode of Rule of Carnage. Uh, this is where myself, Glenn Ford, a games designer and developer, uh, talks to this guy, Mike Hutchinson, also a games designer and developer. Uh, we have worked on and put together games as varied as Gaslands, A Billion Suns, uh, Moonflight, um, and, and other wonderful and splendid things. And we're here to talk about designing, hopefully, better miniatures games. Um, so today, we're going to have a chat about uh, thematic mechanics, designing thematic mechanics, um, which can mean a lot of things. People have asked, you know, uh, about thematic mechanics in the uh, comment section of some of our other videos, and we've designed some We've, we've designed a range of things that could fall into this bucket of terms. But I think, first of all, it's worth talking about the fact that in tabletop games generally, and this is from board games, you know, through to uh, miniatures games like this, we use the term wrong. We use, <laughs> we use the term, term theme wrongly. We just don't use it the way it should be used. And the, the, the way that's a big issue is that we kind of dump a whole set of things that in in other areas described with distinct and different terminology all into one big bucket of theme and that's a problem because when you're trying to do one of those things and you're kind of tying it to one of the other things it all gets a bit messy and awkward and I think it can mess up, you know, it, I think it causes a lot of rule sets to be actually badly written because they're trying to include one thing and not another. And, and it, yeah, it, it, all, it all causes issues. So what um, in, in other sort of areas is meant by theme is the, the, the purpose or intent of an overall work. Um, the theme is what the work is like trying to get across or achieve, um, uh, what, it, what it's trying to end up doing, what it's there for. We tend to mean theme as in something that's a combination of theme, genre, motif, conceit and background, all as one thing. And that's, and that's, that's a big issue. So. Uh, the genre or motif of a piece are the uh, repeated elements of works of a, of a similar kind or repeated elements within the work itself. So a genre concern would be a thing that repeats across different works of a similar nature and a motif would be the things that repeat within a given work that, that sort of refer back to each other and reflect and repeat around. The conceit, and I think the conceit is one of the big things that we misuse theme for within these games. But the conceit is the, the sort of the narrative explanation for why you are there and why you're doing what you're doing. So um, I'm a, a, a post-apocalyptic raider is a conceit of a given game. I'm not a post-apocalyptic raider, I'm a bearded dude you know, in the year 2022, sitting at a tabletop pushing miniatures around. But today the conceit is that I'm in the year 3072 and, and I'm running through a desert trying to survive. Um, and I think our, one of the big issues is that we often use the conceit of a game to explain the rules of a game. So I'm never going to say in a rule set, um, 
move the blue block to the brown space on the board in order to produce a black block that you can then use to operate the uh, the gray space on the board. I'm going to say that you can move water to the factory in order to produce coal in order to run the steam engine. Those are those are conceits that I'm using to explain rules. And because of that, if you think that conceit is theme, you're putting theme into rules. And once you're putting theme into rules, you think it's acceptable to put background into rules and you end up with clunky, difficult to understand, convoluted and overblown rule sets. Uh, so the background is something we might also call fluff. It's the, the narrative text that sets the world in a larger context and lets us maybe understand why certain conceits are the way they are. So you put your conceits into your background, but the conceits are where the player finds his route into the background and into the world, etc. Et so they all connect together in various ways that are important and useful and worth thinking of in different ways. And we, and I mean this collectively as a whole community, we meet, we use theme to refer to all of those things within games, which is a problem and is an issue and is probably worth not doing quite as much as we do. Um, is that a, a, is that a fair overview? I, I yeah, I enjoy, I enjoyed that uh, opening uh, soapbox. It was excellent. <laughs> so, so so soapbox. Yeah, um, no, and I also I also <laughs> I also feel like you're arguing for conceited uh, rules rather than themey rules. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think like one of the one of the things that one of the things that I feel can be very true of particularly indie miniature games, tabletop miniature games, is they can be um like a short story, they can be very focused on a specific conceit or idea or feeling or like they can they can seek to evoke something quite specific and for me the like alchemy of any game design but in this case specifically the alchemy of moving some miniatures around rolling some dice with a particular rule system that evokes a feeling that evokes a sort of um in your imagination things begin to click sensations of you know, think of calculating things and reacting in this tactical space somehow creates um, the feeling of the conceit of being a post-apocalyptic raider or the theme of losing people in a dark cave, if that's what your game's about. Like, it sort of, it, it's not that any of these things are subservient to each other. Mm. It's just that knowing which one is which. Um, and I think also knowing where, like, where the idea for the game is rooted because <clears throat> i might set about to write a cowboy game like a western like six gun shooting you know tombstone town kind of a game but i think th there's a way of approaching that which just says all right i'm going to write a cowboy game and they're not worrying about anything other than the surface level thing but I would argue that a better way to write that game would be to find something that excites you about that genre of movies or about some specific character arc that you've seen in a 
um in in a in a comic book or like some sort of specific physical characteristic of like why you think six gun shooters are super interesting and then use that as your focus whether that's an emotional focus and or a or a or a sort of crunchy mechanical focus like the conceit is that you know we, we've all got six gun shooters in our heels so we have to keep doing backflips to shoot each other and like what is that what does that look and feel like yeah so i feel I like you can you can also i think by cramming all of those meanings into this word theme you can also just be quite lazy about starting a design and going well i'm doing a sci-fi army game and they're not having to inspect like what makes you excited and therefore what is the game about and then i think that like it, it's also like the the use of theme to like in, for example, high school book reports where you're asked, what is the theme of this book? And the theme is not about what actions the characters take or what historical period they're in. It's like, what human truth is this sort of digging into? Like that, I think is, you know, that's a much more, like that's an important place to be thinking from a game designer. Like what is what is the thing that my game designer is trying to communicate? What's the What's the thing it's trying to evoke in the, player's mind yeah um because it's probably not just cowboys yeah westerns i i yeah my my sort of perpetual um sort of white whale on this sort of thing is, is horror i think mm. there's a lot of games that that if that have horror conceits and a lot of games that that follow horror genres i don't think there are many if any games that have the theme of uh, of a horror i don't think there are many games that that feel on any level the way it feels to read a horror novel or watch a horror film. Mm. Um, you know, by and large, they're like the first time you read the background to it or, or see some of the pictures used in the rule book to evoke it, you go, ooh, and then you never feel anything horror adjacent at any point through playing any of the games for the, for the rest of the time you're... Is, is Space Hulk the only... Uh... Exactly. I think, I think certainly back when Space Hulk had a had a, a timer, stopwatch, yeah. I think had a very excellent one. There's a there's a game that I that I absolutely love, which doesn't really super work as a game, but it's a great experience. Um, called uh, Nyctophobia, um, which was a, this is a tangent, but it was designed by somebody for a blind relative. And mm. so all the players but one have to wear blacked out glasses as blindfolds and the other player is a, a, the serial killer and you have to get around without the, that player catching you and they have to take your hand and guide your hand to your playing piece and all the playing pieces are differently shaped and you have to play the whole game by touch apart from the serial killer who's hunting you down. And it, it doesn't really work as a game because the serial the, the, the sighted player has a horrible advantage and it only works if they are playing for you to enjoy the experience but that's a great experience of, of a horror game when it's working well so that's that's a tangential thing so um uh i think like on the question of like how do you write thematic mechanics um what we're trying to do with this conversation is sort of first establish like what do we even mean by theme and I guess my my argument would be very strongly that there's a wispy idea there's an inspiration there's a thing 
there's a kernel at the heart of every game design where somebody suddenly sat up in their chair and went, wait a minute, that's an idea for a game. And whatever that is, like that's the thing that all the mechanics need to, the conceits and the subject matter and the genre and the names of the rules and the way that they're written and the illustration and the layout of the book and the miniature choices and the scale, like all of that is essentially choices towards a thematic rule. It's like, how can I transport this moment of excitement and delight at an idea, whatever that idea is, and give it to you or somehow transport it to you and plant it in the the same pleasure center of your brain um and that that like yeah we'll get to some some things about how you do that but like at least in answer to this question of like designing thematic rules like that i think is the that's the task at hand yeah yeah and i think it's sort of figuring out the ways in which the different the different bits that we've sort of suggested make up what we consider theme is how they can service each other at various points. So I think an, ex an example of a theme that actually turns out fairly regularly in this sort of game is the, the tension of, for example, selling your lives dearly during a last stand. That's that the, that the tension, the, the, the sense of, you know, I, mu I must die well or my children and wife will be forfeit that's that's a thematic concern that the human sacrifice the noble last stand those moments i think are thematic concerns and there's a lot of game you know a lot of these sorts of games choose to engage with that particular thematic idea now whether you can then build your conceits and your your rules and touch on your genre tropes and there are i think interestingly genre tropes of our games that service some of these things in order to achieve that theme or not i think it personally is part of whether your your game is actually going to be a successful game or just another bunch of pushing things around the table and bashing stat lines into each other and seeing if the random number generation jesus lets you win today that seems like a good place to take a quick break. I mean, it's it. I guess it's it's a slightly highfalutin way of attacking this, but Glenn and I definitely agree on this, which is like we've been to, to sort of cast this into the like the history of cinema. Like we invented the camera a while ago. And then we figured out that we could put together like casts of actors, but we're still to my degree sort of stumbling around in the silent film era where we haven't really figured out how to get past the tools themselves and get to what everybody else is working on, mostly in other mediums, which is how do you really make these games, these pieces of art, these pieces of design be about something more mm. than they just are on the surface and so i think your your example there of selling your lives dearly i think is a really good example of where you can write a um you can write a fantasy battle game that uh gives you the the physical tooling to maneuver fantasy battle units around and then you can examine what themes and narrative 
purposes and the interesting stories might be lying under that or one particular element of that be it the the, the universe that it's set in or the reality of what that might be like and then dig 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 into that and and build all of your mechanics around that like a, a good example is um sean sutter's sludge which basically like it takes a, it takes a mental image of what if the mud is so thick that you can't even lift your boots out of it and as your and as your fellow soldiers fall around you and the brown becomes red with the gore of everyone that's dying around you like what would that be like to represent on the tabletop and then every rule in that game as far as he could is trying to evoke this this horror land this nightmarish landscape and all the tokens that you put down in comically large piles you're sort of invited to try and see through their their abstract representation to be like well i can't lift lift my shoe out because it's just weighed down with the bodies of my um of my uh, previous uh um and so um that i think yeah it's such a nice it's such a it's such an interesting sort of i don't know it's just a, it's just a challenge for us at the moment and yeah you know, it's not something that i always raise myself up to either because sometimes i'm just like i want to write a spaceship game that is like x-wing but it's got you know more zooming lasers in it or something and that's enough for me but you know if we're going to keep pushing this forward and making games um that are you know the sort of next evolution of what you can achieve with these things then then we need to be thinking and, and worrying about trying to tell actual stories or or as i said at the beginning like focusing in because indie games can like focusing in on a more tightly scoped conceit or a tightly scoped subject matter and yeah, maybe yeah. that isn't got enough legs to support you know a billion hours of play and 700 supplement books but you know it's still a worthwhile use of game design time and it's a worthwhile use of players yeah. play energy and i i think it's a lovely it's a lovely idea to suggest that maybe maybe we can all think about advancing the form with this sort of idea and, and this sort of thing but on a much more basic level i i think every game design benefits from saying okay what what am I trying to make players fit? What what sort of emotion? What sort of event am I trying to recreate? What's the moment I want my players to feel? Right, okay. Well, that's my actual theme. That's the actual intention of my work, not to get too sort of uh, you know fancy about the terms, but I'm creating something and I want it to do something. And that's my theme. Now, how am I going to do that? Well, I'm I'm going to try and suggest to them that they imagine a certain world. They're, I want them to picture that they're in a certain situation. I'm going to lay that in with some conceits and some background. Um, and then I'm going to refer back to some of the, 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 the genre conceits of both wider um, works that have investigated this theme before and the other games that have touched on this. And I'm going to layer those up and I'm going to hopefully get a certain reaction out of them. And, you know, it'd be lovely if we advanced the form by sometimes making that reaction something other than fear and tension or, you know, wow, it totally felt like I just shot him before he shot me. I'm a, you know, gun duelist in a in a in a in a Western. But that that will do. That's lovely. If, if you can get at least that much theme, I think that you know we're a step ahead of there are there is a tendency where you can pick up a certain game and 
you could you feel like you could pull off the the background and the conceits from the set of mechanics and drop in a completely different set and they would just plonk on top and it would be fine and you'd never even know it's it's the it's a challenge i think that gets laid at sort of euro games in board gaming terms quite a lot is that the the, the the theme is just pasted on and what we tend to mean by that is the the background and the conceits are just pasted on right so there's a there's a satisfying mechanical system but it's is it's satisfying in and of itself as a mechanical system its satisfaction is not derived from evoking you in your imagination and, some particular theme or setting or conceit. and i think that's and i think that's one of the issues i think for a lot of those games their theme as in their intention is the, the, the satisfaction that comes from fitting a jigsaw together or seeing the cogs turn in a particular way and going, oh, that, that felt nice. I turned this particular lever and sweet is rained down. I, I, I feel clever. I, getting people to feel clever is a thematic intent of a work. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But it's really hard to like sell abstracts. So here's the engine that will occasionally make people feel clever and good about themselves. That's my theme. Now let's paint on, I don't know, it's, it's in a sweetie factory or, or, or it's in a farm and you're, they're chickens. The cubes are chickens and the smaller cubes are eggs. And that's what you're doing. And who really cares? And that gets leveled a lot at Euro games, but I think a lot of the sorts of games we're talking about, could have that charge leveled at them i mean i think for for euro games there's sort of two obvious reasons why to do that and maybe for miniature games we add a third which is like on a practical level i think humans are just better at telling stories to themselves about why bits connect to other bits and i think you've talked about this before but like Mm. having a conceit having a, a a story of like it's eggs and packing factories and then trucks that take the eggs to supermarkets like although each of these is just like tedious mathematical systems now i can remember the order of them and i can have some kind of concept of why i might do a certain action or how it functions so it, it aids logic and memory but of course it also does the very practical thing of selling the game in a marketing sense when it's on the shelf because i'm like Ooh, a game about um, the Sheriff of Nottingham. I like things to do with the Sheriff of Nottingham. I might find inside that it's an extremely crunchy sort of puzzle with Euro wheels on it, and it doesn't really have anything to do with that. But that at least got me to pick it up and consider it. And so I think both of those two things are applicable to um, uh, miniature games that have very, very unrelated rule systems like rule systems that could be essentially generic to whatever the toy soldiers that you're playing with um but then we've also got toy soldiers to worry about which is i've got a collection of cases with miniatures in and i want to be told in shorthand which case of miniatures to pull down in order to be able to operate this nintendo cartridge Hmm. and so to a degree like the theme is doing an additional thing than the sort of Eurogame theme, which is it's telling me how to, if I don't have a line of miniatures, or even if I do, it's telling me like which terrain box to pull down. Well, I mean, that's what the genre is doing. That's, that's what the genre That's what the that's genre right. does for you. And I think one of the big problems, uh, for me, I think anyway, one of the big problems is, is that for sometimes the theme of a given work is a miniatures game. 
my aim, my intention is to make a miniatures game, is to make something that will be on the tabletop. And, right, to create and... a whole and functioning miniatures game where mm. toy soldiers run around and at no point does the game blue screen. Yeah, it will it will fulfill the genre tropes of having movement and shooting and close combat and charges and maybe psychology tests and, and, and things of that nature. And it will fulfill the genre tropes of you win by like breaking the other person or wiping them out. And it will fulfill the genre tropes of taking up a certain tabletop size and having a certain number of miniatures. It would, the, and then it will add the separate genre tropes of well, it's got laser guns and it's got bugs and it's got space marines in it. Yeah, and of... and this is one of the issues is that creating a functioning miniatures game is a thing is a is a concern for a work that has its own set of genres and it can be its own thing, naked and rules alone. And yeah. then there's like some story that you could pudge on top or not. And if these two things are just like peelable off, then I don't want that game. Frankly, I don't want that game to exist personally. Harsh. That's <laughs> really harsh and very unkind. But th that this is game... why this is why Glenn doesn't play abstract board games. <laughs> I'm ha perfectly happy. You want to create an abstract miniatures game where all of the miniatures are like grey blobs of specific sizes and shapes I will absolutely play that very very happily and with that we'll take a quick break one of my favourite people in the world um, is David Lynch and he makes this sort of hand movement whenever he says the word idea and uh, he, he has lots of good quotes about this but one of them is um, that the idea dictates everything and you have to be true to that or you're dead. And in the last conversation, we were talking about designing thematic mechanics. And we did two things. One is we exploded the word theme into, in fact, the things that we have shorthanded into that word, meaning subject matter and conceit and genre, as well as the actual themes of the piece. Um, but also we sort of talked about the fact that at the heart at least from my perspective, at the heart of every game design is an idea. Um, and you have to be true to that idea or the game design just dies. And at some somewhere, on some level, almost every component of the game, whether it's a rule or a piece of writing or the front cover or the choice of the miniatures or the size of the ruler, like all of these things that you're telling your player are all in service of this idea. And so I guess um, there's a couple of ways of tackling the second half of this conversation, which is how do you actually go about wiring together the crunchy game mechanics with the thing that you're trying to evoke? And quite often people will call that theme. Um, Glenn has helpfully broken that out into those four different things. And as a shorthand, I might just refer to it as the idea, um, which is the thing I'm trying to beam into your brain as you play my game. Um, and and it's whatever that thing that was exciting um, or electrifying um, that I wanted to convey. So um, we'll probably touch a bunch of different topics on this. Glenn, have you got a place that you want to go to first on the challenge of crunchy rules, sloppy idea? How do you wire those things together to, to communicate them? OK, so, uh, yeah, it's difficult to sort of set this out as a set of sort of hard rules but I think one of the things you can do is um, use your 
if you sit down at the start and you come up with the idea and then you 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 decide on let's say a rough background uh, and a genre so for example and, and th these are all movable feasts and you can swap them in and out as you go along but for example um i i want to create a sense of um people laughing as their stuff blows up uh and i want to do that in a uh the 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 genre of sort of post-apocalyptic car racing and and i write a background about it being a televised death race um so those are some of the things that we sort of try to do with gaslands and now i've given myself a set of touchstones there a set of things that are that i can think of as overarching rules that i don't get a say in in a way i need to evoke some of those genre tropes i need to match in with some of that background and i need to create those sorts of things within the player and so in many ways you can think of your theme and your background and your genre not as something that you not as a weight that you have to sort of reach for, but as, as, a, as a sort of roadmap for whether or not your game is failing. It's a nice way where as you're playtesting, you can go back and go, well, it, did this work? It didn't blue screen on the tabletop and, and people got through the game and said they enjoyed it, but did it work? Well, let's, let's see. Did it do X, Y, and Z? Did a car blow up? Did the car blow up in midair and then somebody whose car it was was happy about the fact it blew up and thought it was funny and enjoyed it blowing up. Did it did it blow up because it was ramshackle and patched together and somebody had idiotically strapped an overly large gun on the front of it and firing that gun shoved them backwards into a wall? You know, have those things occurred? Because those are our genre sort of moments. Those are our cinematic elements. Did we manage to do those things? So it can give you a, a checklist to make sure that the rules you've got are doing what they're doing. Now, a trial and error version of that is obviously going to take you a little while, but it, it, it is nice that they can give you those guidelines. So I think one of the things you want to do is try and figure out what you might call the, the story beats or the story moments of the, and whether you want it to be a novel or a movie or a TV show that your game is, figure out what those story beats are, what happens in every single one of the movies that you're trying to recreate, every single one of the novels or whatever happens to be, what happens in every single war movie that you love, what happens in every single post-apocalyptic movie that you enjoy, what has to occur, those are your, your sort of story beats, figure out you're using the word story there but we're mm. using you're you i perceive you're using that quite loosely to mean like you know moments in an action sequence or yeah beats in the beats in the like exciting recounting of well you know the game last night was great because x and y happened yeah and so though then you need to figure out what physical events <clears throat> would, would would represent or recreate or evoke those beats and then you need to figure out what rules would make those events possible, A, uh, <laughs> would, would cause those events to occur actually on the tabletop, and 
lastly and quite importantly, would encourage players to make those events occur. Because it's all well and good having a rule set that allows the thing to happen if no player would ever go anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could a few times have referred to the first edition of Carnival, um, which has a bunch of really lovely ideas. It has like, you, you, you can be like a wall running, you know, acrobat in that game. But you look at the rule set and no sane person would ever use the rule wall running in it because it has nothing like enough of a reward and often too much for cost. And so they put in the things that allowed the beats they wanted to occur to occur because they obviously wanted some sort of Venetian parkour, you know, thing going on, but they didn't encourage their players to actually do it. Um, And this is one of those places where you might think that you're creating unbalanced moments in your game because you're overly rewarding players for doing something just because it's one of the beats you want to evoke. Do go down that route first of all. If your first version of your game has everybody wall running constantly and springing from balcony to balcony because you just get showered with rewards every time you do it, that's a good place to start at and then maybe crank those things back a bit rather than building a game where everybody's glumly shuffling around on the floor, shooting each other, and nobody ever attempts to do the thing that is meant to be the cool thing in your game. So I think that's one of the one of the places I would sort of look at as a, as a route in on it. Yeah, so I think that probably gives us an axis of like um, rewarded versus punished. So a thematic mechanic, an evocative mechanic is definitely one which is rewarding the sort of story beats that you want from happening. And I've got a couple of other axes that have emerged as you as you were talking there. So I guess another one is um, like your game is going to have core loops, like bits of machinery that the player needs to engage with pretty constantly and think about a lot. And then some quite backgrounded mechanics, like mechanics that still have to exist in some way, but you've kind of you've you haven't foregrounded them. And I think that from my point of view, as I'm thinking about, well, how am I going to evoke the idea in the player's mind? The thing that I want to put, you know, right in front of their face as the sort of as the sort of steering wheel is whatever the core loop is, has got to be really closely linked to the core conceit of the game. And so in Gaslands, it's the movement templates and the skid dice, because it's all to do with high octane driving and slipping and sliding and doing all kinds of action sequency stuff and in um a billion suns that is the uh the sort of jump point economy um what am i going to jump in where because i'm trying to lift you out of any one ship and give you this sort of heads up strategic display from your interstellar war room um 1600 light years away from the battle and those are those are the ways that i'm trying to evoke that like that idea in people's in the players minds and then there are other things that have to happen like shooting or moving around in um, a billion suns which are deliberately backgrounded in terms of their importance their complexity the amount of time i need to think about them and consider them and pre-consider them so i think that's another maybe that's a, a useful metric is like 
in when it's not my go assuming that this is a game with downtime when it's not my go it the what am i thinking about as a player what am i sort of worrying about and pre-calculating because that better be really really closely linked to your conceit or your subject matter um yeah and and, and i think a, a lot of this obviously is about trying to access sort of player the player's psychology at various points and i think it's one of the one of the places that some games go wrong with this is they write a set of rules that don't specifically make somebody feel a particular way and then they dump a load of conceits essentially on top of it mm -hmm. and they say okay well we called it that so that means it's that and we called this that so that means it's that and no one feels that way it's happening now conceits are really important and very very useful um one of the the one of the great things that you can do with conceits is help people to learn the rules of a game you mm -hmm. You name things, cer certain things that happen within a story. You know, people tell themselves that story and that helps to lock into their mind the rules that they're using. Um, you know, if you call a certain rule sharpshooter, people know that they want to give sharpshooter to the thing that they want to shoot with. And they probably want to put that thing back from the front line because sharpshooters don't, don't tend to sprint around too much. And you know, and he's he's it's it's going to teach somebody the strategies of the game, the rules of the game. Conceits are super duper useful and really handy, but they never evoke feelings in people on the tabletop. Nobody triggers their sharpshooter and feels that triggering sharpshooter making the guy run across the tabletop and hit somebody with a plank of wood does make them feel like they just triggered a sharpshooter just because it was called that. That's not, ha not how that works. If they trigger sharpshooter and then like a model that was like two, you know, 60 inches away behind a wall hiding with a hedge and had one ear popped up and the sharpshooter managed to pop his head and no other model on the table could do that. Ah, see my badass sharpshooter you don't mess with him he's you know a dead-eyed killer that's that's your moment that's that's yeah, so you give someone i think i think that is absolutely the third axis as well so we i think you've got reward and punishment and you've got like foregrounded and backgrounded and i think the other is whether or not something is sort of didactic or forced or just named something versus emergent because if if it if you're trying to hit this story beat and you're rewarded for it and it's it's one of the things that you were worrying about it's focused on and what actually happens to create that beat it, it emerges from intersecting mechanics it's not something where the the rule as you say it's not simply called sharpshooter you shoot better but it's like because you're on a high ledge and because this person can only be seen a bit and because you're far enough away like the conditions have been met for a cinematic moment of sharp shooting and therefore crack you get plus three to your shoot and um and the table can clearly see, the players around the table can clearly see wow what a cool sharp shooting moment that was um so yeah i think that that in terms of designing thematic it's it's like designing thematic rules it's like designing it's like designing thematic moments making sure that thematic moments emerge from those yeah um yeah absolutely yeah. You, you're trying to create the moments that are gonna that are gonna stick in someone's mind and they're gonna stick in their mind because you've evoked 
the the motifs and the genres that you said you were going to evoke that the guy I think one of and again one of the things about backgrounds so you're going to write a background for your game and it's going to be a a story in a world in which this is set you're going to say that that guy is the close combat powerhouse and that guy is the long-range super sniper you need to make sure that what happens on the tabletop matches the background you just wrote for people this mm-hmm. is you know there, there's no crueler thing you can do than say to somebody this is how this is going to work and then it doesn't work that way it's like um you know you can you a lot of the time with games workshop games because of they're quite they pull in a lot of younger kids the number of times you see a sort of relatively young kid come out and it's the first time he's got this particular unit out of the box and it said on the box that this unit was a super killy unstoppable monster of glory and then it just gets its head punched in in the first five minutes because glenn's glenn's making this out like it's a child this is every time mike buys a monster and warhammer we'll be back in just a second <laughs> oh look at it it's so big it's get oh it's dead <laughs> well this is the thing sometimes hyperbole can be your enemy don't suggest that right but but like i i also think that like on this on this didactic versus emergent thing like i do actually believe in naming rules in a way that's evocative because i i find like as part of building up this sort of superstructure of suspension of disbelief and investment in the the core idea like you've got to use every part of the game's bit surface area to try and beam your message into the opposing player and so if the rule could be called plus two to shoot or it could be called you know guns gunslinger or something like Mm. You know, go with the thing that like has a has a reference or has a has a little sort of beat inside it, because then at least people will be will be reading through your game and wiring into the sort of universe that you're trying to place them in. And so I don't think it's that, you know, it's we're certainly not saying don't don't name your rules a certain way. It's simply that, you know, as as you're saying there, like because somebody has been described in the fiction as being, you know, the quickest gunslinger in the West, then they could have a quickest gunslinger in the West special rule where they always sling guns the quickest, or they could have some combination of rules where um, it's pretty tricky for anyone to sling guns quicker than them under the Mm -hmm. right circumstances. Yeah. And, you know, and don't, you know, don't, don't call something the glory killer destroyer of worlds and then have it turn up on the tabletop and get punched to death in two minutes. You know, don't say that something is, you know, the long... Unless unless your game is about hyperbolous names. And... <laughs> Point, pointless levels of hyperbole. If everything in the game is called, is named to a ridiculous over-the-top level... Can we think, it, yeah, maybe, maybe I need to write a combat system where you have to use uh, hyperbole as, <laughs> as your randomizer. Possibly, yeah. But, you know, if something says it's the Super Doom Cannon, make it so that if something gets hit by the Super Doom Cannon, the thing dies, for goodness sakes. You could call it the really unwieldy and difficult to aim Doom Cannon. But, you know, if it's if it's a Doom Cannon, things that get hit by it get doomed. If somebody is the, you know, the, the sword of slaughter, 
if someone gets stabbed by said person, that person dies. You know, you might even he might be slow and sluggish and not able to get around the table, and that's all fine. But by God, when he gets up there and wangs somebody in the head with his sword, don't have that person then go, I actually didn't hurt very much, so I'm okay actually now, and then just wander off. Pay out your background. And you know what? If you can't pay out your background, if you've if you've put in things that clash with each other so that you can't they can't both be what you said they were, rewrite the background. You know what I mean? It's like it's not set in stone. If you write a certain background and then you make a game and the game's fun and lovely, but it turns out the unit that you thought was going to be great at like long range is actually really fantastic close up, just name the do differently just say oh he's the close-up like he shoots you with his guns from four inches away because he's so fast with his ninja shooting don't keep insisting that he's some long-range you know sniper master and and have people going this this doesn't work anything like the way it says it does because it just upsets and confuses people and it's you know it's unnecessary you can you know, people say, oh, how do you write thematic rules? Well, sometimes you can write a rule and then write some theme that describes what the rule just did. If the rule does something cool, just write a story that describes the cool thing that happened. That's an entirely acceptable way of doing it. You know what I mean? You don't have to write the theme and then fit the rule to it. It does work in both directions. Sometimes it's a lot easier to write the story than redesign a whole chunk of game. So one thing that... Um... One thing that uh, I really like about Man of War is when you cast a spell, I think this is mostly true of all of Warhammer's history, actually, but Man of War it always seems to be the place where I, I take the time to do this. When you cast a spell, there is a little like live action description of what actually happens. It says, you know, the sorcerer raises his arms and the winds blow around and the flags all turn green because he's casting some jade magic. Ta -da! Roll three deck dice and if you get any sixes, the other guy cries or whatever um and i suppose there's 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 this like potential other way of like introducing theater into the game by sort of saying well here's you know whether it's literally reading something out or it's sort of the way that things are positioned or whatever or the way that you're allowed to move miniatures on the table or the, the sort of tokens that you put next to them but i do think there's something about like when you take a specific action that's kind of important or it's or it's rare i think it's okay to maybe find ways to sort of allow the players to savor that moment or enjoy it or marinate in it um, well i think i i think there's a useful principle there which is about figuring out figuring out in a way where the blind spots of, of a game are in a way so, you know, you take, for example, Man of War there, and the Man of War card says that this wizard does something. Well, that's fine, because a Man of War ship is that big, and so the wizard is about that big. So that wizard could be dancing around and running up and down the sails and hanging off the rigging. You could say that a wizard's doing anything you like. If you'd had, like, a Warhammer army where the wizard is yay big, you can't say, well, what the wizard does is he runs up and down the entire length of the battlefield, high-fiving all of the guys as he goes. No, he doesn't. He moves about four inches a turn. That's not going to happen. If he could run that fast, I'm going to have him ninja over to the other side of the, you know. So you can't say that he he does the, thing, the, the things in, say, Warhammer that you can say he does 
in Man of War. And But in Warhammer, for example, you've got all these magical items described in a certain way, which is fine because you don't need to like see the magical item. And then it says, oh, when the wizard activates this magical item, he pulls it out of his pocket and he goes, and then the thing happens. And so be aware, like I say, of what the blind spots are of your game, what things are expected to be represented physically and what things nobody expects you to represent physically. Yeah, I really like that. And then you can go, okay, nobody's expecting this thing to be visible on the tabletop. Everyone understands that it's going to be a story beat moment. I can have some fun with that, you know? Yeah, I mean, like in Hobgoblin much like in Warhammer, like a place that that happens is in spell casting where you 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 cast some spells until Games Workshop released plastic miniatures for spells. No one ever expected you to represent spells on the tabletop. They were just in your mind. And so you could describe the spell as anything you wanted. Rats pouring out of the, the ground, you know, colossal feet coming down from the ground, from the sky, Monty Python style. Like they could be anything. And I do really like that idea that you've caught on there. I'm going to give that some more thought because I think like the equivalent in Gaslands is the drivers have perks and you never really see the drivers because we're, we're in a game of toy cars. So a lot of stuff can go on inside the car. Mm. People can be throwing Molotovs and drivers can be cool or have one eye or whatever. Like, and it doesn't, that's all, that's all white space for the game design because it doesn't have to conform to the outside silhouette of the vehicle. Mm. And um, yeah, I guess in a billion suns, it's maybe like there's, an amount of off-screen activity in the sort of commander of the fleet there's also a potential but i don't think it's really been realized of like what's going on inside the ships i suppose one place that it does really come through is that uh, the game tells a lot of like sci-fi stories by just saying like this is a mining ship and this is an asteroid and this is a like i don't have to show what is on that facility to say it's a diseased facility that needs medical assistance or it's got spies on and they're escaping yeah, exactly in a billion suns as of a lot of these things in a billion suns it's about the contract system and it's where you say okay that facility is ravished with plague and everybody mm -hmm. in it is dying horribly and it's like well it's it's a space station I, anything could be happening in there and then you go over and your ship tries to cure them and you get hits because you've been partly infected by the plague and then you siphon off the crew with a little marker and you run it over to the jump point and then you fire them off in their escape pod into the jump point and then you get your reward and that's a series of story beats i think a billion suns is a good example of a game that's built out of story beats you go okay there's a facility that has the genius scientist on that's riddled with disease you don't need to see the genius scientist you don't need to see the disease there's a facility and our story beat one is we have to get in there and get him out while he's on the ship and story beat two is we need to make his desperate escape to the jump point and then fire him off to the the, the home base through through a through an escape pod and we've all seen that happen in in various sci-fi films the person being saved and then trying to escape in the little ship as it's being chased by the bigger ship those are the moments that game is about and you give people the opportunity to create those moments and then you reward them for creating them and so you create a story a game that tells a story on the tabletop those are the the moments you go through to create these things and you don't you don't just dump a bunch of 
names onto stuff. You don't tell people what story they're experiencing. You're not... I'm not a novelist. I don't just write a story and then hit somebody with it and go, there you go, that's what you experienced. You know, I say, okay, here's a thing and there's a thing and there's a thing and you're going to do them in that sequence and they're going to look like this and they're going to recreate that moment. Tell yourself a story about that and hopefully that story is going to be a story similar to Star Wars or Mad Max or whatever else it happens to be that I'm trying to cause people to experience that's the, the the idea and hopefully hopefully and it's i think it's the bigger hopefully hopefully they feel a certain way about that story and a lot of the time we cause people to feel things like frustration or or excitement or anger excitement for killing usually but excitement and tension and a tiny bit of fear that they're facing excitement for frustrating their opponents mm. Um, and you know those are as emotional as we as as we usually get, which I think sometimes it's a pity, and I and I hope that you know we're going to get more and more into sort of deeper sort of feelings and reactions. But we'll we'll have to see how far we can extend the form with that sort of thing. So I think hopefully that's a few guidelines for some rules or some some guide points as to how to go about creating some of these rules. I don't know if there's anything particularly, any other sort of touchstones or moments you want to mention. So yeah, like I said, I think try and, and again, as we say quite a few times, this is one of the places where a good, strong, um, like design print set of design principles and design documents can really help you out at some point, sit down, lay out for yourself what it is you're trying to achieve with the game and some moments and within that design document some story beats something at some point in the game has got to do x it's got to do y it's got to make people say oh that was just like movie x you know um hopefully one of, one of the th one of the things actually that i have done in the past and because as you're talking about print design principles, like certainly trying to capture what the idea is or what's important about it as one of your design principles, I think is really good. Another thing that you can do is um, when you're trying to capture this idea and bottle it, you can get a bunch of things from your house or from the internet and you can lay them out in a mood board. And I know it sounds kind of goofy, but like I've literally got a photograph from when I gathered together my toy cars and my copy of Mad Max on DVD and Death Race and, you know, some um, 2000 AD comics. And I just made a big pile of them on my dining room table. And I just sort of looked at them and poked them and then took a photo of them. It was like, th this is the flavor. This is what I like. There needs to be little moments of evocation from all of these different things. And so as well as in your design principles, I think like, um, in order to know what the idea is that you're trying to communicate, I think that can be another, like mood boarding can be another useful way being like being okay to sort of, and those references don't have to all be like literal genre references to the things you're trying to evoke. Like one of those things was, you know, like micro machines, like that was anyway, but like, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. If, if, if usually there's a moment that triggered a design in your head you know, don't let that moment go necessarily. Um, and if you can, you know, go, go back to it. If it was a movie um, or, or, or something like that, re-watch re it. Remember which moment is 
that fired you off and go, okay, I don't need to literally beat by beat, word for word, recreate the moment, but I want something that gets people to feel the way that I felt just then playing the game. And if you can do that just once or twice, then I think you've you you've you've won fairly big. Okay, I think with that we will sign off on this episode of Rule of Carnage. I hope that some parts of those bits of guidance are going to help people to figure out if if not design more thematic rules, at least figure out which rules are thematic and figure out when they're going a little bit off the path and understand which things are actually going to help build your your genre beats and and your thematic moments and which things are conceits which have their own uses and their own purposes but are not themselves genre moments and they will never make you a genre moment just by the names themselves they have different purposes that are useful and worthwhile but don't actually mesh in inherently in and of themselves just because you call them those things um but for now um thank you for watching if indeed you still are um if you are watching i assume you like some part of what we're doing please do like and subscribe look us up on social media but i think uh for this episode of royal carnage we're going to say thank you and goodbye so uh thank you everybody and goodbye bye 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 bye